It's the 18th of May in the year of our salvation, 2007. It's the day after Ascension Thursday. And we are within the Novena before Pentecost. And this is a podcast with Father Z. I am very happy today to welcome as our guest Pope Leo the Great, great saint from the 5th century. He gives us a homily today about the Ascension that will blow your mind. And after that, I have some uh, comments about angels and the warfare going on for our soul. Today we're going to hear sermon number 74 on the Ascension. It's one of two sermons we have of Leo the Great on the Ascension. It was delivered on the 17th of May in 445, which means that uh, yesterday was the anniversary of this sermon over over 1,500 years ago. His words speak to us with incredible clarion clarity uh, today. This is an absolutely astonishing sermon, and I'm going to read the whole thing for you instead of just the little excerpt that we have in the Office of Readings. It's truly astonishing. And there are a few things that you should pay attention to in this. First, remember the, our historical context. Uh, Leo was involved in in fighting in favor of the true understanding of the person of Christ as having two natures. He was a divine person, and of course, you know, the Arians had denied this. They thought that the Son was uh, a creature and less than the Father. But he was also combating against those who thought that Christ's humanity was imperfect, you know, that he had an imperfect soul or there was something defective in him. Leo uh, fought uh, for an understanding of Christ having two perfect natures, perfectly divine and perfectly human, both body and soul. And so you'll hear him in the sermon emphasize both Christ's humanity and his divinity, that it's it's full and perfect on, on both hands. However, in this sermon, he's going to be emphasizing the spiritual and the divine, lest we lose track of it in defending his humanity. And it's very, very important for understanding what he's doing in this sermon for the Ascension. Of course, he makes uh, the point that you will expect that in Christ, our humanity has now been elevated. But what he does really in this is he talks about faith and the importance of faith and therefore how important it was that Christ was to be removed from our sight. You see, this whole sermon about faith emphasizes that we cannot have faith in what we already see or what we already perfectly know. And this means that in God's plan for our salvation, Christ must be removed from our sight at a certain point. Otherwise, our faith and hope and love can't grow properly. But with Christ removed from our sight, faith, hope, and love can grow. And so, in a certain sense, the way that we come to know Christ now is in some ways better because he is gone. Because now it's easier to consider him in his divinity 
because we can't be distracted by his physical human nature if we had it right before our eyes and we could touch him we could be distracted by that we could in other words we could be distracted by the material dimension and so we come to know christ fully in the mystery of signs that are given to us leo emphasizes that the sacraments are a real encounter with christ he's really truly there and we come to know him in a sense better through these signs as long as we are in this dark valley of the material world and so christ's elevation is our elevation uh, because it's a spiritual elevation our intellect is able to go beyond anything that we can see here you know through the the way that we divide and compose things that come in through our senses our spiritual intellect has been raised up because of christ's ascension and it's been raised up even beyond the angelic order and of course he has, he's got a little paragraph in here talking about the angels in order to emphasize our spiritual elevation but beyond those theological points he also has a moral point to listen to because we have to concentrate on the spiritual realities of our faith and because we have to be wary of material things and because we are under siege we are being attacked by a spiritual enemy who uses material things as weapons against us we're talking about the the war that the devil wages on our souls um, we have to have the departure the physical departure of christ as a spiritual benefit for us and so to our own departure from material things our own weariness of material life our departure and dis, shall we say uh, detaching ourselves from the physical world is also of benefit to us you see the physical departure of Christ is of spiritual de of benefit our our material detachment is for our spiritual benefit and so we should combat the sins uh, that we commit we should uh, combat the attacks of the devil which is a spiritual attack through material things and we should elevate our soul through a detachment from spirit material things using mercy and generosity with others it's mercy and generosity which can elevate our spirit and also combat the attacks of the devil this this sermon friends is absolutely packed and those are a few things to listen for as we go through this magnificent sermon number 74 delivered in 445 by saint leo the great one of the great masters of oratory that holy church has ever produced
Sacramentum Dilectissimi salutis nostre, quam precio sanguinis sui universitatis conditoresti mabit, adie corporalis ortus usque ad exitum passionis per dispensationem humilitatis impletomst. Et licet multa etiam in forma servi divinitatis signa rariavenint, proprie tamen ilius temporis actio ad demonstrandum suscepti hominis pertinuit veritatem. Post passionem vero, ruptis mortis vinclis, que vim suam in eum qui peccati The mystery of our salvation, dearly beloved, which the Creator of the universe thought worth the price of his blood, has from the day of his bodily birth to the end of his suffering been carried to completion through the condition of his humility. Although many signs of the divinity in the form of a servant have been evident, strictly speaking, the action of that time pertained to demonstrating the truth of the humanity he assumed. After his passion, when the chains were broken of that death which had destroyed its own strength by proceeding against one who had no acquaintance with sin, then weakness was turned to strength, mortality to eternity, disgrace to glory. The Lord Jesus made this obvious in the sight of all by many and clear signs, until he carried the triumph of victory that he had brought back from death up into heaven. As the resurrection of the Lord was a cause of rejoicing for us in the Paschal Liturgy, so his ascension into heaven is a matter of present delight for us. We recall and rightly venerate that day when our lowly nature was carried in Christ above all the hosts of heaven, over all the angelic orders, and beyond the height of all powers, to the seat of God the Father. We have been established, we have been built in this order of divine works, that the grace of God becomes more wonderful when those things which are felt to invite proper reverence are removed from the sight of human beings, and still faith does not weaken, hope does not waver, love does not grow cold. This is the strength of great souls, and it is the light of intensely faithful spirits to believe unhesitatingly what is not seen by bodily perception, and to fix their desire where they cannot fix their sight. From where would this devotion be born in our hearts, or how would any one be justified through faith if our salvation consisted only in those things that lie under our eyes? For this reason, the Lord even said to that one who seemed to doubt the resurrection of Christ, unless by sight and touch he tested the marks of the passion in his very flesh, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet believe. So then, that we can be fit for this blessedness, dearly beloved, after all had been fulfilled that belonged to the preaching of the gospel and the mysteries of the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ was raised to heaven. He made an end to his bodily presence in the sight of his disciples on the fortieth day after the resurrection. 
he was to remain at the Father's right hand until the time predetermined by God for filling the number of the children of the church should come, and he would return to judge the living and the dead in the same flesh with which he ascended. What was to be seen of our Redeemer has passed over into the sacraments, in order that faith might be more perfect and more firm, teaching has taken the place of sight, and to this authority the hearts of believers, illumined by heavenly rays, have conformed. This faith, reinforced by the ascension of the Lord and strengthened by the gift of the Holy Spirit, has not been terrified by chains, by prison, by exile, by hunger, by fire, by the mangling of wild beasts, nor by sharp suffering from the cruelty of persecutors. Throughout the world, not only men but also women, not just immature boys but also tender virgins, have struggled on behalf of this faith even to the shedding of their blood. This faith has cast out demons, driven away sicknesses, and raised the dead. Those blessed apostles, strengthened as they were by so many miracles, taught by so many sermons, although they had been terrified at the Lord's passion, and had not accepted the truth of his resurrection without hesitation, advanced so much at the Lord's ascension, that whatever had brought fear to them before was turned into joy. They had raised the whole gaze of their souls to the divinity of the one sitting at the right hand of the Father. No longer are they held back by any use of bodily sight which would prevent them from looking with sharpness of soul on that one who had neither been absent from the Father by his coming down, nor had departed from the disciples by his ascension. Then, dearly beloved, the son of a human being became known more eminently and more sacredly as the Son of God when he entered into the glory of his Father's majesty. In an ineffable way, he began to be more present in the divinity as he became more remote from our humanity. Then, by a spiritual step, a more instructed faith began to give assent to the Son equal to the Father and it did not need the touch of the bodily substance in Christ by which he is less than the Father, because, with the nature of the glorified body remaining, the faith of believers was drawn there where the only begotten Son, equal to the Father, might be touched not by fleshly hand, but by the spiritual intellect. Hence it is that after his resurrection, when Mary Magdalene, manifesting the person of the church, was hastening to approach to touch him, he said to her, Do not touch me, because I have not yet ascended to my father. He was in fact saying, I do not want you to come to me bodily, nor acknowledge me with the perception of your flesh. I am taking you to higher things. I am preparing greater things for you. When I have ascended to my Father, then you will feel me more perfectly and more truly. You will embrace what you do not 
touch and believe what you do not see. When the searching eyes of the disciples were following the Lord with keen wonder as he ascended into heaven, two angels stood before them shining in marvelously radiant clothing and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus, who was taken up from you, will so come as you have seen him going into heaven. By these words, all the children of the church are taught that we believe Jesus Christ is going to come, visible, in the same flesh in which he ascended. No one can doubt that all things have been made subject to him, whom, from the very beginning of his natural birth, the angelic household had served. Just as the angel announced to the Blessed Virgin that Christ would be conceived through the Holy Spirit, so the voice of the heavenly choir sang to the shepherds that he was born from the Virgin. As the first witness of the heavenly messengers told that he had risen from the dead, so the service of the angels was to announce that he would come to judge the world in the same flesh. In this way, we might understand how many powers there will be with him when he comes to judge, to whom such a great number ministered even when he was about to be judged. Let us exalt, therefore, with a spiritual gladness, dearly beloved, and joyfully, with fitting gratitude to God, let us freely raise the eyes of our hearts to that height where Christ is. Let not earthly desires hold down the souls called upwards. Let perishable things not hold those ordained for eternity. Let false pleasures not delay those who have entered the way of truth. Let the faithful so travel over these temporal things that they may realize they are pilgrims in this valley of the world where, even though certain pleasures attract, these are not to be vainly embraced, but must be passed over bravely. The blessed Apostle Peter urges us to this devotion, and according to that desire for feeding the sheep of Christ, which he conceived at the threefold avowal of his love to the Lord, he begged them, saying, I urge you, my dear people, just as visitors and pilgrims, keep yourselves free from the selfish passions that attack the soul. For whom, if not for the devil, do the worldly pleasures make war? Who is it that delights in hindering by the pleasures of corruptible goods the souls reaching for heaven, and in leading them away from that home from which he himself fell? Against his snares all faithful souls ought wisely to keep watch, so that from that which is made a temptation against them, they might be able to crush this enemy. Nothing is stronger, dearly beloved, against the wiles of the devil, than the kindness of mercy and the, the generosity of love, through which every sin is either avoided or conquered. But the sublimity of this virtue is not gained until what is contrary to it has been broken down. What is so inimical to the works of mercy and charity as greed? 
from which root the seed of all evil comes. Unless this be cut down in its first growth, it is certain that in the field of that heart in which the plants of this evil become strong, spines and thorns of sins will rise, rather than any seed of true virtue. Let us resist then, dearly beloved, this rankling evil, and strive after charity, without which no virtue can shine. Through this way of love, by which Christ descended to us, we can also ascend to Him, to whom are honor and glory with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Sed huius virtutis sublimitas non prius abprehenditur quam ilud quod ei est contrarium subruatur. Quid autem tam inimicum misericordiae et operibus caritatis quam avaritia de cuius radice omnium malorum germen emergit? Que nisi in suis vomitibus senecatur necesse est ut in agro ilius cordis in coius mali planta convaluit? Spine potius tribudique viciorum, quam ulum vere virtutis semenoriatur. Resistamus ergo delictissimi huic tam pestifero malo, et caritatem, sine qua nulla virtus potes nitere sectemur, ut per hanc, qua ad nos Christus descendit, dilectionis viam, etiam nos apod ipsum possimus ascendere, cui est cum Deo Patre et cum Spiritu Sancto, honor et gloria in saecula saeculorum. Amen. That, my dear friends, was sermon number 74, which seems uh, such an unworthy way to label this powerful, powerful sermon in the beautiful language uh, that he uses. The Latin original is stunning. We have to have this, this Latin in our ears every day. Something of Leo. Gosh, if we could all have our own uh, copies of Leo's sermons in Latin and, and stand at least for uh, ten minutes a day and recite these things out loud just to get them into our ears. My, what an, what an incredible thing that would be. But there are some uh, theological points to pay attention to in here and some moral points to pay attention to also. But you know, here's maybe something that we can think about just for a moment. Uh, Leo emphasizes how this, to a certain extent, we are raised up beyond the angelic order, 
because of what happens with Christ. And really stop to consider what that means. Who the angels are. You know, there are three types of persons. There are divine persons who are completely transcendent in every way above every other possible category we can we can think of. But then there are created persons also. And there are two types of created persons. There are created persons without any material dimension and created persons with a material dimension. So we have the angels and we have human beings. But the angelic order by far transcends the, uh, the human order. You see, angels who are pure spirits don't have any senses to hold them back or any body to limit them. So angels are where they happen to will themselves to be in action. We have to move from place to place. Angels know things in the very essence of what the thing is without the necessity of, you know, looking at it and examining various dimensions of it, its width, its height, its length, its color, its properties, its smell, things like that. They just know the thing immediately. We have to look at it through our senses and then compare it to other things and say, well, it's not like that, but it is like this. And we go through this process of uh, what's good is called dividing and composing and, and considering uh, things. And so eventually we come to grasp some things about them. Angels, too, because they are so elevated, they can control the material order in ways that we can't even possibly fathom. And the devil, the devil being an angelic being, knows us and watches us and knows how to use and manipulate material things and even certain dimensions of our soul, like our appetites and our emotions and stimulate our memories and so forth against us. What an incredible enemy we have arrayed against us. This is an angelic being we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, someone that Jack Bauer in 24 has to fight. We're talking about an angel with angels who hate us with such a malice that they are even willing to endure the agony of being in the presence of sacred things, even being within the presence of a sacred building, even being within the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, which causes them indescribable un agony. They hate us so much and desire our damnation so much that they will patiently lie in wait and watch every single thing that we do so that they know us so well that they have a perfect plan of how to hit us, what our weaknesses are, what to do to us to make us fall exactly when they want us to. On the other hand, God has given us a free will 
and also a marvelous intellect, much less than the angels, but it's still marvelous. And he has given to each one of us angel guardians. And those angel guardians are even mightier than the devils who attack us, because our angel guardians see, simultaneously see, the face of God. And in being in God's presence simultaneously as being with us, they know God's will for us, and they will work on our behalf. They'll protect us. They'll defend us where they have to. They'll keep us out of those things which we need to be protected from to the extent that God will not desire that we endure uh, challenges and difficulties and obstacles and even you know sometimes uh, terrible sufferings for the sake of our soul according to his plan. You know, God will use bad things uh, in order to correct us or strengthen us, and the angels know that. So they're not going to protect us from every possible evil. But they do fight on our behalf a spiritual battle for the sake of our souls. How grateful should we be to God for the help of angels? So how grateful should we be to those angels themselves? Imagine that someday we will perhaps be able to see our angel arrayed in his glorious splendor before us when we come for our reward and what thanks we will we will be able to offer him then and what joy we will have in their presence the angelic realm is real and we must never forget that there is a supernatural battle being fought on our behalf because god loves us With that, dear friends, I have to wrap this podcast up. I've done a couple podcasts in the last couple of days, but I also have a lot of other work to do. Please come and visit us at the blog, wdtprs.com. What does the prayer really say? Whiskey, Delta, Tango, Papa Romeo, Sierra. I look forward to uh, getting your comments and your feedback. I asked a question about whether or not virtual phone numbers, some f a phone number you would call uh, to leave audio feedback would be useful to you, and I've gotten one response. Maybe I could have a few more. Friends, I hope you are happy and healthy. Uh, do pray well during this novena period before Pentecost. Remember, uh, Ascension uh, Thursday took place nine days before Pentecost, even though we transfer to Sunday in many places. Uh, so we have Ascension Thursday, Sunday now, I know. But uh, do pray well your novena before Pentecost. God bless you. <laughs>